It was a privilege to have a share in the restoration of Jehovah's worship. People know we rebuilt the wall, but there is so much more to the story. What's going on, Hanani? How are people? Not good. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. What about the temple? It stands, but the services are nothing but empty rituals. Most of the people and the priests ignore God's law. You have to return with us. We were on our way to help rebuild Jerusalem's walls. Once again, good morning and welcome to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. I thought we would show the promo video for Nehemiah again because it's been a couple weeks since we have been in the book of Nehemiah. As most of you know, last week uh, we took the day the day off from Nehemiah and we did our family worship Sunday. Uh, Brother Glenn Alsa brought us a fantastic message and we had uh, a lot of our young men up here serving last week. So I was happy to step back and let that happen. But it is great to see you guys all here today. It's wonderful to have people uh, in the auditorium again, uh, albeit wearing masks, which for me is actually good because I just assume you're smiling and agreeing with everything that I say. So, um, But it's in all seriousness, it's great to have you all here. Uh, it's great to have Ross and Linda Garrett here with their new beautiful little baby girl back there. Um, it's great to see you guys as well. But we are just excited to be, to be back in the church and be continuing the work of the kingdom. And even though we did that while uh, the pandemic was kind of in the middle of the pandemic and things were really challenging, we found new ways to spread the gospel. And I'm really excited about that. And I'm really excited about where we go from here, so to speak. So today we are going to jump back into the book of Nehemiah. For some of you, this is kind of review. Maybe you're familiar with the book of Nehemiah. And for some of you, maybe you're not. And that's okay too, because we're going we're gonna to walk through this together. Nehemiah is an exciting story about rebuilding and revitalizing, and I think this is a great time for us to focus on that because we are starting to see kind of the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, and it's time to really focus on rebuilding our families and rebuilding our churches and rebuilding our nation. So that's kind of where we're going with this, and that's kind of our focus. If you were with us, uh, again, two weeks ago, we did the first chapter of Nehemiah, so if you missed that, you might want to go back and read that. And today we're going to tackle the first part of of chapter two, and I'm really excited about that, so let's go ahead and jump in. We're going to pick up in Nehemiah chapter two, verse one, and if you have your Bibles or your Bible app or however you like to read, I want to encourage you to read right along with me. It says, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, it says, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. It says, I had not been sad in the presence of 
in his presence before. It says, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? It says, this can be nothing but sadness of heart. It says, I was very much afraid. So there's a couple of things going on here, and I need to give you just a little bit of, a little bit of context in what we're talking about. Because if, if you don't understand the context, this first part of the verse, you may skip over this, or you may just kind of read through this quickly, or it may not even make sense to you. But remember that Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. Now, there's a couple things that go along with that, and we talked a little bit about this in chapter 1. This wasn't just a position in the court of the king Nehemiah. This was actually, he had built a relationship with the king. He was actually at a point where the king would confide in him. And if you wanted to go see the king, you actually probably had to go through Nehemiah to get to the king. Now, that being said, we have to remember this was still a monarchy and the king was still the top spot in the monarchy. So even though they may have had a relationship and they may have had a friendship, so to speak, Nehemiah still reported to the king. Now, it says here, why does your face look so sad? And then you see that last little phrase there. It says, I was very afraid. And that may sound strange because why is Nehemiah afraid? Well, when you think about this, as a, as a servant of the king, you are not to show emotion. You are to come in, sit there, do your job, and don't speak unless spoken to. So Nehemiah knew just by his facial expressions, just by the mannerisms that he was portraying, he could actually be in trouble for this. He could be in a lot of trouble for showing any kind of emotions because you got to remember, this is the king. He doesn't want to be bothered with your personal problems. He doesn't want to be bothered with your sad face. He wants you to come in and do your job. And that's why when we get to the very end, we see it says, I was very much afraid. Now, we're building up to this big moment where Nehemiah is going to confront the king. And it's a really cool and exciting story. But again, we got to kind of understand the context behind it. Now, it mentions that this is Nisan, which is about April-ish in the calendar of the time. And if you take a look at that, that would be about three to four months from where we left off in chapter one. So about three to four months from where we left off chapter one. So he's been mourning and fasting and praying for almost four months about this. And I think that that's important that we understand. And I think that that's why it's included in the text is that this was not just an overnight thing. This was not something that Nehemiah just said, you know what I think I'll do? I think I'll go rebuild the walls. This is something that he prayed about and he fasted about and he mourned about. Because remember in chapter one, we find out that the walls had been broken down, that the gates had been burned and that the people were off the rails and doing all kinds of crazy things that went against God's will. And that's really important that we understand as we continue and pick up in verse three. It says, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. <laughs> now, I love this part because I don't know for sure, but it sure seems like Nehemiah is trying to buy some time, right? It seems like Nehemiah just doesn't, he's not quite ready to go in and ask for what he's about to ask for, so he's kind of buying some time. Have you ever, have you ever been in that situation? Maybe you're going to your boss and you have to bring up something that's really difficult and you really don't know how to bring it up. So what you do is you kind of, oh, how are you doing today? Oh, I, I love your outfit today. Oh, did you see the game last night? 
So, so we kind of buy some time, and that's exactly what Nehemiah is doing. He's kind of buying some time so he can get into kind of the heart of what he's going for here. So he says, may the king live forever. It says, why should my face look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruin and its gates have been destroyed by fire? It says, the king said to me, what is it that you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, again, so much good stuff here in this in this. He, he makes it personal, okay? He says to the king, look, this is the city where my ancestors are buried. This is, he's basically saying, this is my hometown. This is where I'm from. This is something that's very meaningful and impactful to me. So he makes it personal because, again, he's relying on that relationship that he has with the king. But I love the king's response. Cuts right to the chase. What do you want? Didn't beat around the bush. Didn't say, oh, I'm so sorry to hear about the city. I'm so sorry to hear about, you know, your hometown. Nope. Remember, the king is the top of the monarchy. He's all about business. What is it that you want? He gets right to the case. What do you want? So here we go. You can almost feel the tension building as we move forward with this, with this story because Nehemiah is about to, about to go in to ask the big ask that he has to ask. And again, he's bought a little time with, hey, may the king live forever. And then I love that he says, and then I prayed to the God of heaven. This is what I like to call an arrow prayer. I don't know if you guys do this or not, but do you ever find yourself in a situation and you either don't quite know what to do or maybe you're super nervous or maybe you're super scared and you just throw up this quick little prayer? God, I, God, I really need strength right now. God, I really need help right now. That's exactly what Nehemiah did. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We talked about praying first and then making a plan. So Nehemiah finds himself in the heart of this situation. He's about to ask the king for something huge, and he, he stops and prays. What a, what a great lesson that we can learn from Nehemiah. That when you find yourself in that situation where you don't quite know what to do, or maybe you just need that little bit of strength or that little bit of encouragement, he stopped and he prayed. See, sometimes I think we get caught up in this idea that to, to say a prayer means we have to stop what we're doing and maybe we have to get down on our knees and we have to fold our hands and we have to close our eyes and it has to be this formal prayer. And if you remember from Nehemiah chapter 1, we looked at Nehemiah's kind of formal prayer. It was a great example of how we could pray to God as well. But that doesn't always have to be what prayer is about. Prayer can just be a quick little, God, I need some strength right now. And he's going to hear that prayer just like he does that long, formal prayer that we saw in chapter one. So I love that he, that he stops what he's doing and he says a prayer. Let's go ahead and jump into to verse five. It says, and then I answered the king. So remember, Pray and then plan, right? He prayed first, and then he answered the king. It says, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. That's kind of a big ask. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'll see why. And we'll point that out here in just a second. It says, Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It says, It pleases the king to send me, so I set a time. Now, on the surface, you might be saying, Okay, well, that's kind of cool. But let's back, up a, let's back up a book in the Old Testament. Let's back up to the book of Ezra. 
And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that Ezra and Nehemiah are kind of like a two-parter, right? The, the story kind of flows from one to the other. But if we back up to Ezra chapter 4, verse 21, it says, Now issue an order to those men to stop work so that this city will not be rebuilt until I so order. Well, guess who that is talking That's King Artaxerxes, the same person that Nehemiah is going to to ask for permission to go rebuild the city. So there's a whole other layer to this story that you may not know or that you may not have thought about. And that's the fact that the very person that he's asking is the very person that said, no, 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 we are not rebuilding the city. Think about the courage that Nehemiah had to have. Think about the conviction that Nehemiah had to have to even think about asking for something like this. See, God had a plan for Nehemiah. And, he, and, and Nehemiah was in tune with what God's plan was because he had no qualms in asking this huge ask. Now, granted, he planned this out. He spent four months thinking about it, fasting about it, and praying about it. But he just asked the very person who said, no, we're not rebuilding. Hey, do you think it'd be okay if I went and rebuilt the city? Now, it gets better. Let's jump ahead to verse 7 and 8. It says, I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. It says, and may I have a letter to Asaph, It says, keeper of the royal park. So he will give me, excuse me, he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence that I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my request. Wow. Not only is he asking the same king that said, no, 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 we are not rebuilding that city. Not only is he asking him, hey, can you give me some time off from work so I can go do this? He's asking for a whole lot. Let's look at this a little bit more closely. First of all, he's asking for a letter. And that letter is going to help him to gain safe passage. It's going to help to legitimize his operation. And then it says, it says, may I have a letter to the keeper of the royal park. Now get this. I love this. I need some timber to rebuild the gates. Oh, and by the way, I need enough to build me a house too. Now think about that. Not only is he asking the king to go back on his decree, but he's asking for labor and he's asking for materials and he's asking for letters for safe passage. I love that Nehemiah just goes all in. He didn't just say, "Uh, King, can I get some time off because I got some things I need to go take care of? No. He said, hey, I need the time off, and I need the supplies, and I need the army for protection, and I need the lumber, and I need everything that's going to take to make this happen. The title of today's lesson, if you noticed, was Vision and Courage. Boy, Nehemiah sure had a vision, didn't he? He had this thing thought out ahead of time of everything he was going to need. He, he didn't come to the king and be like, Ugh, I think I need about six months. I think maybe if you could throw a few people. No, he had it all planned out. See, God was using Nehemiah in a big, big way. 
Because if you remember from our first lesson, Nehemiah wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prophet. He was a quote-unquote layman, if you want to call it that, even though we all are in charge of spreading the gospel, so there really is no such thing as a layman. But he was not from the priestly line. He was not someone you would have picked out and said, oh, I think he's going to be the one to rebuild the city. Yet God saw something in Nehemiah, and maybe it was that courage that he had. And he says, look, you're going to build the wall. Let's jump ahead to verse 9. It says, so I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates, and I gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. He even got the army involved, right? He sent this army of men for protection and also for labor. A couple verses back it said, because the hand of God was on me, he granted me these things. See, the hand of God was at work in this story from the very beginning. And you say, well, wait a minute, why did he send an army? Well, without going too much into an Old Old Testament history lesson, all of the land surrounding Jerusalem, right, was occupied by people who were not followers of God. And he knew that at some point, and I don't want to give any spoilers to our next few lessons, but he knew at some point he's going to run into some opposition. He's going to run into some people that are saying, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. The king has already said once, we're not doing this. He knew he was going to run into some opposition. So he thought ahead to say, look, I'm going to need an army to back me up. So what is God's vision? What is God's vision for us and our families and our church? And that's what I want to spend the next few minutes talking about as we get ready to wrap up here this morning. Nehemiah had a very clear vision, and he understood the vision that God had for his life. But what is his vision for us? What is his vision? What is his plan for our lives? Because God does have a plan. Now, that's not to say he's got every step of the way mapped out. We're not talking about predestination. But God has a plan for us, and God has a plan for the church. And I think this is the perfect time for us to stop and take a look at what is that plan that God has for us? So we are going to change gears. We're going to jump into the New Testament, and we're going to look at the early church. So if you would, join me in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. We could just leave it right there if we wanted to and say, what is God's plan for the church? What is God's vision for the church? Well, there it is. Devote ourselves to the teaching, in this case, the teachings of Jesus. Devote ourselves to fellowship, right? To spending time together, doing life together. The breaking of bread, which we just did a few minutes ago when we celebrated our communion service. And prayer. That's the vision that he has for the church. It says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. There's that together piece, right? That together, we're better together, right? We're better when we do life together. When we're there to love each other, when we're there to support each other, when we're there to pray for each other, we're better together. And we see that over and over and over again. 
It says they sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, I'm not saying you have to go out and sell your house and sell your car and give it to the church. That's not what I'm saying. But it's that attitude that they had. They were willing to give up everything that they had to make sure that their church family, that their brothers and sisters in Christ, had everything that they needed. Do we have that same attitude? Do we have that same desire to look out for one another, to be there for one another? Because if we can't do that as the family of Christ, then who will? This is the vision that he had for the church. Let's go ahead and continue in verse 46. It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. The early church met together every single day. Every day. Now that may not be realistic for us, right? Because we have to work and our kids go to school and and we live in a different time and place than the early church. But are we reaching out to our church family every day? Are we touching base with our church family every day? Are we checking in on our church family every day? We have this amazing technology that we have these days where we can call and we can FaceTime and we can text message and about a million other forms of communication that we have. Are we doing that? Because that's the example that the early church set and that's the example that we're given. It says they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And and I know we're in a pandemic and this one gets a little tricky right now being in each other's homes and things like that. But, But whenever we get to that point where things get back to normal, whatever normal is, are we spending time with one another? Are we breaking bread with one another? There's something special that happens when you share a meal with people. There just is. And and I know we have all this other technology and and we've gotten to this point where it's easier to to text someone. We don't even really call people anymore. But there's something to be said about surrounding a table with someone and sharing a meal and talking to them. And see, this is what the early church did and they were massively successful in doing so. It says, praying God, praising God, excuse me, and enjoying the favor of all the people. And this is the kicker. This is the key part of this whole thing. We've already talked about how they did it. It says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If you want to know what the vision for the church is, you just saw it. If you want to know what God's design for the church is, you just saw it. And what happened when they did those things? He added to their numbers daily. What a a great roadmap. What a great blueprint for how to grow a church. When you truly show love to other people, when you pray together, when you share meals together, he adds to the church. And I think that's important as we look at the vision for the church. That's the vision for the church. And the early church multiplied and multiplied and multiplied and multiplied by doing these things. So that's what we have to focus on. Let's change gears. Let's look at his vision for us and our families. And this is found in Psalms chapter 3. So flip back to the Old Testament, Psalms chapter 3, verses 4 and 6. It says, Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not 
on your own understanding. It says, in all of your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. That's his vision for us. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. It doesn't matter what your hobbies are. What he's saying here is trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on yourselves. Because what happens when we're left to our own devices? We mess up, right? That's just the way it is. If you don't believe me, look at the Old Testament over and over and over again, right? The Israelites got back in good favor with God, messed up. Got back in good favor with God, messed up. Sound familiar? We have to trust in him and stop trying to do it all ourselves. When you put God first, when you trust in him, then he takes care of everything else. It doesn't matter what your vocation is. It doesn't matter what your career is, whether you're a teacher or a lawyer or a doctor. It doesn't matter. As long as you're trusting in God and you're putting him first and you're doing the best that you can to follow the example of Christ, that's his vision for you. Because remember, he wants everyone to be saved to the point that he sent his son to die for our sins. That's his vision, is he doesn't want anybody to miss heaven. But we have to do our part, and we have to trust in him, and we need to lean not on our own understandings, but lean on his understanding. Nehemiah got this right. He got this right. He knew exactly what God wanted him to do. He was tuned in. And he wasn't afraid to ask for it because he knew that he had God on his side. So what can we take from this? What can we take from this just short story of the first part of chapter 2 in Nehemiah? Make God's plans our plans. That's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah had a good gig. He was the cupbearer to the king. He had a respected position. He had an honored position. He was basically the right-hand man to the king. But what did he do? He had the courage to step out and say, look, that's not what God has in mind for me. God has something even bigger in mind for me. And he stepped out on courage. He stepped out on faith, and he did it. we got to have a solid game plan, right? We have to have a plan. Nehemiah had a plan. Do we have a plan? Do we have a plan? Do we have a plan of how we're going to get to heaven? Do we have a plan of how we're going to get our children to heaven? Do we have a plan of how we're going to get our friends and the rest of our family to heaven? See, we have to have a plan and then have the courage and to work with God and the Holy Spirit to make those things happen. We've got to be courageous. And we've got to pray. And I know we say that all the time. And we say it so much that it's almost become cliche. But God, as Peter mentioned earlier, God is not a transactional God. We don't get to check the boxes. Okay, went to church, um, did my devotional, uh, took communion, um, said my prayer before the meal. Okay, God, I'm good. I'm ready to be saved. That's not the way it works. It's about having a relationship with him. That's what he really wants. And how do we do that? We do that through study and we do that through prayer. We get to talk to the creator of the universe. And that's just powerful. And the Bible tells us that he hears our prayers. 
How amazing is that, that you get to talk to the creator of the universe? And not only do you get to, he wants you to. We've got to pray. And whether it's that long, heartfelt prayer that Nehemiah said in chapter 1, or whether it's that quick little shoot an arrow up to heaven prayer that he did in chapter 2, we've got to talk to God. And we've got to listen to what he's trying to do in our lives. Because God, just like he did with Nehemiah, will use you for powerful things if you'll just let him. If you'll just let him. And if you'll just have that courage to say, yes, God, I'm going to do the things that you want me to do for your glory in your name. Next week, we will go ahead and we'll jump into part two of this story. Um, And we'll see that Nehemiah is now going to go to the city and he's going to kind of start putting his plan into place and he's going to let everyone else know about his plan. So I hope that you'll be able to join us next week as we start in part two. As we get ready to close today, I do want to extend the invitation to anyone uh, that is either here or online. Maybe you've never had a chance to make Christ your Lord and Savior. Maybe you've never had a chance to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're going to invite you in just a moment as we get ready to sing to come forward. If you are at home in your live stream audience and you have any questions about baptism, you want to be baptized, please don't hesitate to reach out, Aaron at mvchurch.org, and I'll be happy to talk to you about that. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you've kind of fallen away. What a great time to renew your commitment and your relationship to Jesus Christ here this morning so that when you walk out that door, you walk out in a right relationship with Christ. As we get ready to sing this song, you can feel free to come forward. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to pray with you and help you in any way that we can. Would you please stand together as we sing? Well, again, thank you so much for being here this morning. A couple of quick announcements before we close. If you were with us last Sunday, um, I want to once again welcome our new sister in Christ, Michelle Diekman. She was baptized last Sunday morning. Um, If you weren't here or maybe you did not get a chance to welcome her to our church family, I want to encourage you to do that here this morning. I'm also really excited to let you guys know that on Wednesday night, um, I had the honor and the privilege of baptizing Gavin and Jaden Stearns into the body of Christ as well. And they are here with us this morning. So if you get a chance to say hello to them, and we want to just welcome them to our church family. And I hope that you guys are excited as I am that, that we are still just thriving and doing kingdom work during this pandemic, and the work of the church has certainly not stopped. I couldn't be more excited about our new brothers and sisters in Christ. But dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day, and we thank you for this opportunity that we had to come and just continue to look at Nehemiah and his story, and just that amazing story of courage and vision that he had. Heavenly Father, help us to be like Nehemiah and really just to understand what your plan for us is and help us just carry that out as we live out our daily lives. Heavenly Father, just be with our church family wherever they may be. Help to keep them safe and help them to always look for you for guidance. Heavenly Father, most of all, we just thank you for sending your son. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, thank you again so much for being here, whether you're here with us live or in our live stream audience. I hope you have a wonderful week. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life.
Still your love far from me